Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to a Fremantle Australia podcast recorded at the Sydney studios. And a warning, this podcast contains adult themes and explicit language. So tell me, tell me, tell me, I need to know, how did it happen? What did you do? Oh, tell me, tell me. I've got all forever to tell you this, I just need to know. My name is Julia Robson. I'm a private investigator and you're listening to Chasing Charlie. Charlie's a prolific con man, and by now I had unlocked enough of his past to know that he was not going to stop. It was a past littered with lies, fraud and deception, dodging arrest warrants, skipping the country, womanising, impersonating others, even ripping off his own family, but he was still flying under the radar. I was the only one seriously on his trail, and I knew that if I didn't stop him, nobody would. I was finally talking to Emma, another woman who had answered the same Craigslist ad as Vivian back in 2011. But there was one thing I hadn't yet told her, or you. Remember the surveillance I set up back in episode two to find Charlie's real name? Well, that surveillance hadn't just turned up the hire car. It had turned up something else. Something I hadn't been able to share with Vivian or anyone at the time. In following Charlie, we had inadvertently followed him as he met another woman, Emma. I'd known she'd existed in some form all that time ago. But, well, sometimes you have to make a tough call. I know how fiercely loyal and utterly blind people can be when it comes to love. I also knew how completely Charlie had been able to get Vivian to relinquish everything to him. There was no way I could risk Emma tipping him off that we were after him, so there was no way I could let her know that I knew about her. Until today. I have a huge sense of guilt that I didn't make more of an effort to try and get hold of you because I did have your name. Are you, are you a hairdresser by any chance? Were you a hairdresser? Yeah. I'm a hairdresser. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a surveillance guy on a bike? Um, on a motorbike? Uh, is there a particular time frame? or? Yeah, around the beginning, middle of 2012. Um, yeah. Well, that was when surveillance occurred. So actually it was beginning of 2012. It was mm. March. Around March 2012. That was right when I was in court. I was in and out of court and he was hanging around at my house at that stage and choosing what he wanted to take. And we were really concerned that if we obviously approached you, if you were in a relationship with him, then 
that would get back to him and we would lose our opportunity because we were in talks yeah. with New Zealand police to, to basically extradite him back to New Zealand. Um, oh, wow. Oh, well, look, <laughs> the way they happen, you can't blame anyone. How it is. I wish I had been able to warn her to stay away from Charlie. But you can't have regrets in this business. You have to make a call and stick to it. Nevertheless, sometimes it's tough. In total, I reckon you would have gotten away with around $30,000 worth. At the end of the day, it's only money. My hands still work. I can still earn more money. Um, Maybe I'll be a bit smarter and not lose it again. Charlie's method for extracting cash from Emma was pretty straightforward. He would go over to her house without his wallet and then claim he needed urgent access to funds and ask if he could borrow some cash. In some cases, thousands of dollars at a time. I think he really just saw me as a very vulnerable and easy target that he could try and con money out of. There was one day he turned up at my house and he had that other woman's car. It was a nice little sports car. It was either dark blue or dark green and it was a model that's not very common. It was a beautiful little two-door car. And he rocked up and he had like 5,000 bucks. And it was that day he was saying to me, you got any gold? I've got a friend who's paying double the going rate. You know, if you've got any gold, you want to cash in, give it to me. Uh-huh. And I just thought, mm, no, no. Yeah, because he, he did this funny little thing where he said, oh, I just had someone call me a cunt, you know, with the money in his hand. And I was like, what have you done? Have you ripped someone off? Oh, no, not me. No, no, I'm, I'm a good boy. I wouldn't do that. Got me gold? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Unlike with Vivian, Charlie's requests for money from Emma were never incorporated into their sex life, although she believes that if she hadn't been so forthright in handing it over in the first place, it probably would have been. He had a really good way of kind of leading you into things and and getting what he wanted. And what was he like in the bedroom? Excellent. It's true, I have to say it, like, one of the best... He's very experienced. Um, he knows what he's doing. He knows his way around a woman's body very well. Um, one of the only guys that could make me come during sex. Like, there's only been three in all my life, and he was one of them. It shocked me to the core. But, you know, that's the truth. And so where does the BDSM come into all of that? Look, I remember him saying once that um, there's a difference between BDSM and violence, and it's the spirit in which it's done. So, yeah, there was a playfulness, there, was a, there wasn't a cruel nastiness like there is in domestic violence. There was a kind of a playful element to it, a, a, a caring kind of element. It was different. It's really hard to explain. I mean, it's really trusting of a guy you hardly know. I think it's easier with someone that you don't know. I think it's harder with somebody that you do know. Right. I don't know. It's... Do you know what I mean? Well, that's just a complete stranger at that stage. He can walk away and I can walk away and, and he doesn't know my circle and I don't know his. Whereas with people that you do know, if things go bad, you know, gossip and... So, yeah, I think it's actually easier to let your hair down with someone that you don't know. And did he ever try and invite other people into the bedroom? He was constantly, constantly, but, yeah, he was right into the group play. By mid-2012, Charlie had moved out of the Ark Apartments and into a townhouse nearby. 
Emma was still living in the family home that she had once shared with her ex-husband, the home that was soon to be sold as part of their divorce proceedings. Rather than pay expensive storage fees, Charlie had offered to look after Emma's furniture for her. She was a little hesitant at first. A lot of the furniture was her late mother's and it had huge sentimental value, as did the vibrant paintings her daughter had drawn for her as a younger child. But Charlie was insistent, and after all, as he said, they would eventually move in together so it would be all nice and ready for her when the time came. It was around this time, after they'd been in a relationship for close to two years, when things started to turn sour and Emma began to listen to the alarm bells ringing, telling her that Charlie might not be who he said he was. I was always suspicious because he wouldn't show me a licence, he wouldn't show me anything to prove who he was. Alright, I've typed his phone number into Google and it brought up an ad, a Gumtree ad for good old fashioned plumber. It was a really well-written ad. You know, you're sick and tired of being ripped off by by, um, plumbers, blah, blah, blah. I'm a good old-fashioned plumber that will do a decent job for, you know, the right price, blah, blah, blah. And it had his phone number on it and it had an ABN. So I looked up the ABN and that was where I found it was called All Seasons, All States Plumbing. All States Plumbing was called, I think. And it had the name Paul Brian Gill connected to it. I wonder if that's his real name. So, you know, delve a little bit further, look up Paul Brian Gill in New Zealand, and that's when you find, oh! That was one of the really positive things about this case. All the women did their own detective work. I was full of respect and admiration for how much they had been able to find out. Their resourcefulness was inspirational, even to a professional PI, and is testament to the fact that there is so much we can all do for ourselves. No one wants to find themselves in this situation where you distrust the very identity of the person you share your life with. But if you do, I suggest you take a leaf out of Emma's book, or Margot's, and have a really good dig around. That said, coming up with information is one thing, but as Emma was about to illustrate, what you do or don't do with it is another. So once you found out about his name, did you confront him? Yeah, yeah. We were in, sitting in my garage in my little hairdressing section there and I said to him, who's Paul Gill? And I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I think you better leave. If you're going to play games with me, I think it's time for you to go. And he's like, oh, all right, all right. And that was when he fessed up that, yeah, his real name was Paul Gill and, and that he was trying to change his name. He was trying to get his name changed. With the revelation of his birth name, there was also an admission that he'd been to prison in New Zealand. According to him, he, he was the first person in New Zealand to break into an ATM machine. Yeah, he learned how to, this is his story, yeah. Uh, he was the first person who learned how to break into ATM machines because, you know, smart, as an engineer. And apparently he went across the country breaking into all these ATM machines and got away with a fortune. And he said that um, in, in um, court, he was a bit of a hero because he'd actually ripped off the bank. Yeah. <laughs> and according to him, that was what he went to jail for. His claims of being the magnificent ATM bandit were a far cry from the far less spectacular truth that, in fact, his prison time in New Zealand had been for fraud. So did he say to you why he was using a different name? No, although he did ask me to help him 
fill in the paperwork to change his name legally in New Zealand. So I was the one that looked it up, printed it up for him, filled it out, gave it to him. So he signed it all and he used my PO box as the return address because he didn't want to use the address that he was living at as a return address, which again, another red flag. You know, why? What's your problem? Why? (laughs) I know, I know. Sounds amazingly naive and something that you and I would just never do, right? Wrong. Being conned has got nothing to do with your own intelligence and everything to do with the con man moulding themselves to fill the crevices of your vulnerabilities so that you find yourself doing things that in any other situation you would walk away from immediately. I can't stress enough how much influence, power and control people like Charlie exert. It's like bad chemistry, the right con artist tapping into one person's particular vulnerabilities at just the right point in their life, and boom, there goes all of us. So, for whatever her reasons, Emma had helped Charlie fill out the paperwork for a new passport and a new identity. Remember this, it's going to crop up again in a later episode. Now, around the same time, Emma's divorce had finally been settled and she was in a far better position to gain some clarity into the suitability and honesty of her lover, whoever he was. Now, the other thing was, too, that during my divorce, um, my, my father had given me this block of land that I'm now building a house on. Uh, he was trying to convince me to um, save my block of land from going through assets in the court and transferring it into his name. And that kind of made me go, oh. what? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't do shit like that. Yeah. So that kind of got me very, very sus. That, you know, asking me to put my property in his name really got me sus, particularly when my ex-husband, who I've been with for 21 years, had pretty much um, squandered our home. While her own suspicions about Charlie were starting to bubble up, there was one voice of reason in Emma's life that had always known something was off. But my daughter hated him right from the word go. I was fake, he's horrible, he's awful, get rid of him, I don't like him. She's only like 12 years old or something at this stage. Yeah, just full on in tune. She hated him, hated him. Do you know if there's anything in particular that caught her off guard? No, just her gut. She was more in tune with her gut than I was. When Emma's relationship with Charlie finally ended in 2013, she was convinced that he had been secretly living with another woman the whole time. While I am pretty sure that this was neither Vivian nor Rachel, Emma is in no doubt of the existence of yet another woman. He took my cat and, you know, the plan was that I was going to go and live with him, so of course I gave him stuff to take there that, you know, I was going to be using when I was living with him and my precious things from my mum, stuff from my daughter. The cat was with him for... Just about a year, and I was saying to him, I want my cat back, and he was like, No, fuck you, it's my cat. So, like, no, I don't think so. So, I jumped in the car one night, it would have been, oh gosh, either July or August of 2013. I jumped in the car from Croydon, drove up to his house. Um, the gate was locked, closed and locked. I jumped the gate, I went to the front door, and the front door was a glass door, like very similar to the door on the other cabin, but you could see straight through it. And I've looked in and he's there fucking this woman. And I'm on the phone outside and just ringing him, ringing him, ringing him, just watching 
I'll let them finish. Not ringing, ringing, he's just ignoring me. At one stage he got up, grabbed his phone, looked at it, put it back down, went back to what he was doing. And I could see my cat sitting on the fucking bench watching him too. Mm. So I let them finish and then I just went bang, 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 bang on the glass door. And he's like, come over to the glass door and he's opened the door and he's gone, what the fuck are you doing here? What do you want? And I'm like, give me back my cat. And he's like, fuck off. Uh, no, my cat's fucking microchipped and registered to me, mate. I can prove it's my cat. Right? You want to play games? I'll call the cops right now. That is my fucking cat. Give him to me right fucking now. And he's like, right. He's gone inside, picked up the cat, grabbed his collar, pulled his collar off, come over to the door and hand it up, thrown him at me. And the cat's put on a whole heap of weight, so he's a lot heavier than he was when he went there. And um, I'm like, can you unlock the gate? And he goes, no, nah, you. you got in, get yourself out. Like, oh, all right. So I've got this big fat cat. I'm trying to climb this gate, and this guy walks past. This is like three o'clock in the morning, mind you. Yeah, in Richmond. Yeah, this guy walks past, and I'll just go, Excuse me, could you please help me? Can you please hold my cat while I get over this gate? And this guy's just gone, Oh, all right. He's grabbed my cat, and he's just standing. And I'm thinking, The fucking irony, this guy in Richmond holding my cat while I'm jumping the fence. Not something that I normally do. So yeah, I got over the fence. Thank you very much. Grabbed my cat, chucked him in the car and went back to, to Croydon. And if you could talk to him now, what would you say to him? Suck shit. That's all. He left me with an STD, which, you know, I'm not real happy about. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Emma and Charlie had split up in 2013, and after that, things seemed to go quiet. I was still in contact with Vivian, but now we were catching up more as friends, and Charlie's name really came up. It was during one of these catch-ups in 2015 that Vivian mentioned she'd had a strange text message. It didn't say much, something along the lines of, whose number is this? But when you're friends with a private investigator and that friendship started off with you as a client, you're going to bring it up. I told her I would take a look. When I was back in the office, it felt like that piece of paper was burning a hole in my pocket. Something told me to follow up the number immediately. It was that same feeling I had when I had received Vivian's email all those years ago. Now, Before I go on, I think it's important to point out here that 2015 had been a huge year for me personally, both the best and worst year of my life. I had got married in June to the love of my life in a beautiful tropical wedding in Thailand. And then, less than a month after our wedding, my husband had a massive heart attack. Thankfully, he survived, and he's absolutely fine now. But what should have been our honeymoon period 
ended up with my husband needing time and quiet recuperation and me needing a distraction from the all-consuming worry about him. This anonymous text message was almost a gift. Of course, I was no longer being paid by Vivian at this point. I wasn't being paid by anybody for the work I was doing on the Charlie case. But by now, chasing Charlie had become somewhat of an obsession for me, and I wasn't going to let go. I traced the phone number. It was connected to a Facebook account. A Facebook account with Charlie as the profile picture. He had tagged himself in several photos, recent snaps posing in the infamous graffiti-laden streets of Melbourne's inner laneways, and happy snaps from Queensland visiting one of his children. The same state of Queensland where he had an active arrest warrant. Charlie had been slipping through the cracks for so long now, he wasn't phased by the threat of being arrested. He was taking his chances, and why wouldn't he? It had always worked for him before. It was like Emma said, it was all a joke to Charlie. I do remember him coming there one day, and he was like, he was like a little piglet in shit. He was just gleeful. And I was just, what, what's going on? And he said, oh, I just got called a cunt. And I, and I was, well, what's so good about that? And he laughed about it. He thought it was hysterical. And I remember thinking, well, fuck, what have you done to someone? And he laughs, you know, he gets away with it. He always gets away with it. I had to walk. I had to, I had to walk away. The idea that Charlie was still out and about and free to scam, abuse and assault others was a bitter blow. The happy snaps in Queensland were one thing. The photos from Melbourne were another. They were recent and indicated that Charlie was still here somewhere. Somewhere I am. He could have been just around the corner, in the next aisle in my local supermarket, watching the same movie as me at the cinema. He was close, but where was he? I didn't have the stomach to tell Vivian this latest piece of news, and when she asked if I'd looked into the number, I brushed it off. It wouldn't have helped her. All she would have done was worry, and I was pretty sure Charlie wouldn't come after her again. He had taken everything she had. She was no good to him anymore. This renewed realisation of Charlie's complete disregard for anyone put new fire in my belly, and the Facebook snaps of Charlie in Queensland gave me something concrete to take to the police there. As soon as I connected with them, they showed an immediate interest in Charlie's movements. They confirmed his arrest warrant was active and that they would be prepared to extradite him back to Queensland. Unlike the New Zealand police, who needed him arrested on a local crime first, the Queensland police could, and would, extradite him immediately from Victoria. It was the news I needed to hear. If Queensland police extradited him, the New Zealand police would also be open to discussions about acting on the outstanding arrest warrant they had for Charlie. All I had to do was find him. You have new voice messages in your mailbox. This was the closest I had ever been to catching Charlie. He was in Melbourne, I was in Melbourne, And I had a police force in Queensland ready to extradite him. But they were also getting impatient. There was a new person in charge there, and she was keen to get results. I had gone to them without an address for Charlie, 
and clearly they had to have one to arrest him. Of course, the first thing I did was go to his last known address, the same one Emma had gone to to get her cat back. But that was a year or two ago, and when I got there, I found it had been demolished. So, no easy win there. I went back to the web. Some of Charlie's most recent photos had a backdrop of Melbourne's inner east, with a high-rise public housing block in sight. Using Google Street View, I could match the street where the photos were taken. I was getting closer, much closer. I went to the street that I had matched the images to, and as soon as I drove up it, it was disappointingly obvious which house was Charlie's. A load of old furniture had been dumped on the pavement. Someone had moved out in a hurry. As I was soon to find out, Charlie had found himself a young, vulnerable American woman, married her, and scurried off to the other side of the world. The thought of another woman being duped by him made me even more determined than ever to track him down. To me, this was getting personal. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. In 2015, Facebook still offered a feature called Graph Search. This gave significant insight into what someone was liking, commenting on, being tagged in, all sorts. It was an incredibly powerful tool for investigators, but it was also being abused by cybercriminals. More recently, and without warning, Facebook shut it down overnight. But back then, boy was it useful. Using this graph search feature, I had identified that Charlie's latest partner was a woman called Lily. She was now my main portal to Charlie, and I dived in. I had found out that they had met online in 2014, while she was still in America, and by the following year, she had moved to Australia to be with him and had become pregnant. By mid-2016, they were both living in Lily's hometown in California with their newborn baby. Here I was, trying to find Charlie in Melbourne, and there they were, being tagged online by Lily's American family welcoming them back home. It was crushing. I'd been so close to him, but once again, he'd eluded me. Charlie, by the way, was now going by the name Leon. Leon Charles Freeman. But as ever, we will keep calling him Charlie. He was now 60 years old. 33-year-old Lily was vulnerable, but perhaps even more so than his previous victims, as she also struggles with mental health issues. The child she had with Charlie was her fourth, 
although none of these previous children were in her care. It was devastating to realise that this young woman, who so desperately needed support, had chosen to place her trust in Charlie. Years earlier, I hadn't been able to intervene and try and warn Emma about Charlie, and I was determined not to let history repeat itself. I needed to talk to someone who knew Lily, someone who she would listen to. Looking into her online life, I uncovered a profile that Lily had created as a much younger woman, and it helped me work out who certain key family members were. As an investigator, I also have access to a number of paid subscription databases, including American phone numbers and residential addresses. I was able to find Lily's parents and reach out to them. Just when you think your heart can't sink anymore. They told me that Lily and Charlie met online and that he as good as selected her. Excuse the audio coming up, it's a pretty poor quality phone line, but I think it's worth listening to them speak firsthand. Anyway, she met me on, online and she said he was a millionaire. We tried to stop her as much as we could, but she went. I even went over to visit them one time and um, I hadn't seen him before and I was kind of shocked by his appearance and his age. But he, they lived in a nice apartment at the time and he kept on pointing out um, apartment buildings that he owned. I was skeptical. Yes, yes, his appearance is nothing. I was shocked by his appearance when I first met, met him. I would say, you know, he's hideous. But we, we soon seen it wasn't a good wasn't a good thing when they moved over here. And um, we could tell that he was using um, prescription medication and um, possibly even using medication. It was just a mess. Despite their concerns about Charlie and the vain hope he may be good for her, Lily's parents did their best to support their daughter's marriage. I got him a job with my cousin. He worked for him for one day and, and he wanted to run the whole job. He said he was, uh, he was so smart that he could run the whole job. He wasn't going to be a laborer. So, so I said, well, you can work for me on one of my businesses. So I brought him down and had him doing some plumbing and stuff. And uh, everything that he's done for me has been, I've had to have, had to have redone. I said, you need to do some work or something. He didn't have transportation, so I bought him a really nice car, uh, which they were supposed to give back to me when they left, and they sold this and took off some money. I don't know about you, but to me, this is no surprise. We're talking about the same man who had dumped a load of debt into his own son's name and stolen his ex-brother-in-law's identity. Ripping off his new in-laws would have come naturally to him, and I doubt he would have given it a second thought. They lived in our home with us for a while, and then we have the rental right next to us that they were living in. We, we noticed there was stuff going on, you know, and people, that's when he ripped off um, our friends. Then we found out that he was using our charge card and bought, bought expensive equipment. So we were really upset with them, and they never he would never pay any of the rent like he said he was going to do. And then they just isolated themselves from us. He also told us that he was involved when he was living here. He was involved in a gun running 
uh, organization in South America, and he knew these people that were dangerous people. So, so Dan and I, we kind of sit with our doors locked, you know, we still don't know his potential. It's been a nightmare for us. While it was a nightmare for her parents, I believe Lily was completely oblivious to this. Charlie had sold her the dream of a nomadic lifestyle, living on a boat, sailing around the world. It was a fantasy life, but Charlie can spin a good tale, and Lily wanted to hear it. Their plan was to sail around the globe with a young child until they reached Asia. He is evil because uh, if I didn't do exactly what he wanted or help or whatever, we weren't going to eat and I needed to... I needed to make sure that was always safe. So he manipulates a lot. And um, I knew it was a bad situation, but there was no way to convince her to get out of it. You know, he got pregnant and that we would be taking care of him. I do not like Leon whatsoever. I have no compassion for him. Funded as ever on other people's money and heartache, Charlie was about to launch into the next stage of his new life with his young family. This is your first and final boarding call for flight T376 heading to Paris. Please make your way to gate 52. Next time on Chasing Charlie. And I knew from the moment he arrived that... um, it was going to be a problem because he, you know, you, you see him and you think, uh-oh, who punched out his teeth then? <laughs> this is a side that criminals don't see, you know. It's not just the fact that he's stolen money. It's not that, you know, that's a small factor. The other is the aftermath of it all. What Hazel didn't know was that she had just paid for his new identity. When the tracker alert came through, I was stunned. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, leave a review and recommend to another true crime fan. Make sure to subscribe to Chasing Charlie on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to keep up to date with the latest instalment. If you have further information on this story, please reach out to us at chasingcharlie at fremantle.com. The content of this podcast is a result of Julia Robson's investigation into Charlie and information provided to her by his victims. Some names have been changed to protect the identities of those involved. Chasing Charlie is a Fremantle Australia production. Executive producers Jesse Klass and Liz Burnett. Series producer Rebecca Vallis. Original concept and writing by Julia Robson. Edited and mixed by James Ezra, with additional editing by Katie Morris. Recording and technical assistance by Alex Elliott. Legal and business affairs by Maddie Marchant. Recording assistance by Brendan Ganey and Tom Lawton, with additional research by Georgina Rain. Stefan Dennis plays the voice of Charlie. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, please contact Lifeline on 13114, Beyond Blue on 1300 224636 or another crisis hotline in your local area. We are grateful for the help of the victims and families involved in creating this podcast. Thank you.